Time. We talk about time a lot, don't we? We talk about it. We, we talk about, oh, I wish I had more time. Or, oh, I'm in a big time crunch. There's never enough time. Time is a precious commodity. We are all given the same amount of time. In one ways, in one way I should say, in another way, we don't know how much time we have. Now studies share some of the uh, ways our time is spent. And you can go online and you can get all kinds of these things and some can, can be pretty uh, discouraging. It's, I saw one thing that said you can spend two years of your time calling people back. And uh, so that's always exciting. We spend six months of our time waiting at traffic lights. We spend eight months opening and reading junk mail that has a great value. We spend five years of time waiting in line. If uh, you go to an amusement park, that goes up. Time and waiting. And, and as many of you know, the couple weeks ago, I was at my nephew's wedding outside of Seattle, and, and we timed it just perfectly. Speaking of time, we came into the Seattle area at evening rush hour, going from Seattle Central, where we picked up somebody at the airport, down to where we were going to stay in Tacoma. And so if that's considered waiting in line, we added to our five years uh, just that evening. And then we picked, let's leave Seattle during morning rush hour and having to cut from the bottom up through the middle of it so we could spend some more time sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic. And then I was able to come back. I know we have some visitors from the Seattle area that I can jab a little bit here this morning. But uh, coming back to Helena and saying, man, I had to wait at least 15 seconds at the corner of Montana and Custer. It was horrible. But time. You know, some of the things we do with our time are, we just have to do it. They're inevitable. But we're called to use our time wisely. So let's think of a year. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing. We're almost at the end of June. The end of June and celebrates the 50% done with the year mark. So we have a year here, one, 365 days, 5 hours, 49 minutes, 12 seconds. And uh, so if you break that down, it comes out to almost 8 1,766 hours or 525,949 minutes or a lot of seconds. So time, and it seems like it goes rapidly. But we use phrases like, that was a waste of time, or, you know, I'm just killing time. What does God say about our time? God wants us to do more than just spend time. He wants us to do more than pass the time, kill time, or waste time. He wants us to invest our time. And Peter gives us some advice about that as we continue looking at the book of 1 Peter and we're entering chapter 4. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on His Word this morning. Father, as we come before You this morning, may we recognize that time is a precious commodity and we need to invest our time. Lord, we thank you so much for your investment in us. 
And Lord, as we're challenged to use our time wisely, may we gain a better understanding of the meaning of your word. But Lord, may it be more than just a knowledge. May we apply the principles that you have for us today. May nothing distract us from your word, and we will give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going, to beginning, we're going to look at the first six verses, 1 Peter chapter 4, follow along as I read. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipations, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now think about where Peter was in his life as he wrote these words. Peter knew that he was going to die, just as everyone is going to die, but he knew that he was going to die probably for him as he wrote these words in the very near future. He knew that chances are he was going to be martyred for his faith. And for him, as he wrote, that time was coming very quickly. And so I'm sure as he wrote these words to to others, many of whom may have thought, I've got all the time in the world. He wanted them to recognize the importance of investing our time. And he shares some important things we need to consider in order to make our time count. Moses in Psalm 90 tells us that we need to watch our time. Moses says in Psalm 90 verse 12, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. How do we make our time count? Let's see some of the things that Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 4. He speaks first of the battle. We need to invest our time with our battle of sin. Verse 1, 1 Peter 4, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The term arm yourself is a military term, and it means to be prepared. Think of being like a Boy Scout. Be prepared. Throughout Peter's letter, he warns us to be prepared in our battle with sin. We'll look at it coming up in a few weeks in 1 Peter 5.8. Peter warns, the devil like a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. It is a battle. And we need to be prepared. The battle begins in the mind. Back in chapter 1 and verse 13, Peter reminds us to prepare our minds and to be alert. Proverbs 23.7 teaches us as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We need to be militant in our battle with sin. We should hate sin because of what sin does to us. 
but also what it did for him or to Christ. The battle with sin is a battle that we face every day. And let's step back and review a little bit of what we looked at last week in the final verses of chapter 3. And we used this phrase or sentence, statement that I said over and over. You probably said you said it too many times. We got it the first time, but uh, repetition is the key to knowledge. So I'm going to even repeat it again today. It says this, the very worst thing that did happen... Man choosing to condemn and kill the Son of God became the very best thing that could happen, an opportunity for our relationship with God to be restored. And as we saw in those last verses of chapter 3, Jesus, the ultimate example of suffering as He gave His life for us so that our relationship with a godly, holy, heavenly Father could be restored. But as we have seen throughout this letter, Peter was encouraging these followers of Christ as they were being persecuted for their faith. And the emphasis or the importance of how we face suffering and difficult circumstances, hard times. But we could say a a similar statement from these verses in 1 Peter 4 when speaking of our suffering we can say this, the worst thing that could happen to a believer, what would be the worst thing as far as their walk with Christ and suffering with their walk with Christ is that they would be martyred for the faith. But that will lead us to the best thing that can happen, an end to suffering and sin as we spend eternity with a loving God. But we daily battle sin. And we are to invest our time in resisting sin. Genesis chapter 4, God was speaking to Cain. And he warned him about failing in that battle with sin. If you remember the story, Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, sons of Adam and Eve, and they were called upon to give a sacrifice to God. And Abel Abel sacrificed a lamb, and, and God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. But Cain gave some of the fruit of the field and vegetables, things like that, that he had grown. But God was not satisfied with Cain's sacrifice. And Cain became angry. And notice the words of God toward Cain in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7. It says this, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Resist sin. Did Cain resist it? No, instead he killed his brother Abel. But we must arm ourselves for the battle with sin. But Peter doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 2, and another way to invest our time is to recognize and seek after the goal. We're to resist sin, but we're to have a goal of doing the will of God. Verse 2 says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. We're to live the rest of our lives in pursuit of God's will. Matthew 6:33 Jesus said but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you the context of that verse people were worried and, and anxious about their lives things they needed in life and Jesus reminded them that the first thing we're to do is seek the kingdom of God 
What does seeking God's will involve? It involves, first and foremost, a foundation of obedience. We must prioritize what He wants over what we want. We must be willing to follow His direction and leading in our lives. Obedience is a foundation of following God's will. Now, oftentimes, we like to throw that phrase around, God's will. And maybe you're here this morning or watching online and you're coming into a very difficult decision in your life and and you say, you know, I just don't know what God's will is in this decision. And there are some decisions that are not very clear in how we should respond. So how, how do we deal with that? Well, the first thing is simply, does it follow God's Word? Does choosing one mean that I'm going to disobey God? What should be the correct answer to that is, is very easy. It can be hard when uh, we're pulled toward sin. But what happens if, if it's not a right or wrong, sin or don't sin, decision? We need to seek God. We need to be spending time in His Word and prayer as we're close to God looking for His direction. We need to seek godly counsel. People around us that that are godly, that can give us wise advice. Proverbs tells us that amongst the multitude of counselors there is wisdom. We need to seek godly counsel. Start with a foundation of obedience. We need to say, all right, God, this is what I desire, but if it's not what you desire, help me to do what you choose. Remember Jesus as He was in the garden? He was getting ready knowing that very soon He was going to be arrested and then tried and then crucified. What was His prayer? Father, if it possible, take this from Me, but not My will, but Yours be done. Are we willing to say that in our lives, Lord? You know, I'd rather do this than that, but if, this, if that is what you want me to do, I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do. There's an old song, and it's a really old song, and it shows how old I am, but, but I remember the, the song, and we would sing it at missions conferences and things like that. Please don't send me to Africa. Lord, I'll do anything, but I don't want to go to Africa because there's bugs and and spiders, all these creepy things. Are we willing to do whatever God asks us to do? Do we seek His will? But you know, another struggle we have is is sometimes we take and we say, okay, this is what I want to do, so I'm going to take and sort of adjust what God wants just to make it fit what I want. You know, okay, God, this is what I want, so now bless it. You ever had that thought? This is the person I want to marry, and I know their relationship with you is either non-existent or very minimal, uh, but they're really cute. So help me uh, accept and help it work out, God. You know, it's sort of like the guy that was 
watching his weight and and really battling with it and so in fact it was it was so bad there was a a bakery on his way to work and it was amazing it was like a magnet every day on his way to work it seemed like there was just a magnet to stop at that bakery and get something that uh, had lots of flavor and lots of calories so but he was he was diligent about it so he said you know I'm going to change my route to work and, so, and he was sharing with his workmates, you know, and they were cheering him on. And so he changed his route to work so he wouldn't be tempted by that bakery. Well, one day he was busy, he was in a hurry trying to get to work, and he had forgotten about rerouting. And so he went right by the bakery and he said, This must be God. I mean, obviously. God doesn't make mistakes, and so God let me forget to go the different route. So, so I tell you what, God, if. I'm supposed to stop and get something at this bakery. Lord, help there to be in an open space, an open parking space right in front of the bakery. So I said, and then if that happens, I, God, I know it's you. So sure enough, he, he walks into work with a dozen large, tasty cinnamon rolls. And he was going to share a couple with his workmates and eat the rest himself. And his workmates say, what happened, Bob? What's going on? And he said, oh, you know, it was amazing. He said, you know, I, I told you I'm changing my route, but this morning I was in a hurry and I wasn't thinking and I went by and I, he said, I recognized it could be God. And so he said, you know, guys, I, I prayed. And I said, God, if you really want me to stop and get something at the bakery, have there be a, a parking spot right in front of the bakery that's open. And he said, sure enough, I only had to drive around the block eight times before there was an open spot. <laughs> but we do that, don't we? we? We say, all right, God, this is what I want. Now I'm going to try to fit your will and your word into what I want. And that's not what Peter was talking about. We invest our time wisely when we say, all right, God, it's not what I want, but it's what you want, and I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do. We need to recognize the goal. Our struggle is often not that we don't understand God's will, but that we understand it and we're willing to follow it rather than to do something else. We see a, a third way to invest our time is to recognize our past and change from it. In, verse, in 1 Peter 4, verses 3 through 5, it says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. As a follower of Christ, my life is to be different than it was without Christ. How am I living differently as a Christ follower? Now, you may look at this list that, that Peter shares with in verse 3. I mean, lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries, and you may say, you know, I don't do much of that. But every single one of us struggles with sin no matter what it is. 
and we have this battle. And, and you know, if, if you trusted Christ, then your life now is no or very little different than it was before Christ. You need to examine yourself. How is my life different? Now, some of you grew up in the church or in a Christian family and, and you trusted Christ at a young age. You know, I don't share my testimony very often, but I'll share it with you this morning. I was living a life of drugs and alcohol, and then at age five, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I, I grew up in a pastor's home, and we started a church, and so the church was in our house for the first two years. My bedroom was a Sunday school room. I never missed Sunday school, even when I was sick. Because I would be laying in bed, I'm sure sharing germs with the other kids, but I was in Sunday school. And so I can look at that list and I can say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. But God challenges us to be different and we are all sinners saved by grace. And God's grace is just as amazing for a five-year-old who trusts Christ as a person who, who has spent their life in despicable things and God miraculously saves as a, later in their adult life. Yet grace is still just as amazing. And the changing from who we were to who God calls us to be is just as important no matter what our background is. And Peter was saying to this group of people in Asia Minor there in the first century, and he's saying to us, are we living differently because of Jesus Christ? Are we investing our time in being different? We use this, the church term sanctification. The idea of being more like Christ. We're positionally sanctified because of what Jesus Christ did for us, but daily we're to be more like Christ. And Peter says, listen, look what you were Compared to what you are, what you're going to be, are you striving to be more like Christ? And then in verse 4, some, some interesting terms. He talks about that those around us, maybe if you... Uh, especially if you trusted Christ as an adult and, and you're striving to change your life, people around you may not understand. What are you doing? <laughs> you used to be fun. But he goes on and he, and he shares that they may even mock you or think less of you. And he says that you shouldn't get caught up in a flood of dissipation. What does that mean? Well, it's a picture of a, a large melee of people moving forward in a direction. The term dissipation itself means to be driven to fulfill sinful passions. I'm sure many of you have joined me in, in looking at news clips of what's taking place around our state and in other places, you know, Yellowstone Park and things. Some, some amazing demonstrations of the power of water and you have probably seen this clip or a similar clip what took place at a lodge in Yellowstone you see that amazing picture 
of being pulled away. But that's really the picture that Jesus, or excuse me, that Peter was trying to give. Don't get caught up in sin. Now, at the end of our service, we're going to pray for, for those people in and around our area that, that have been and will continue to face some very hard circumstances and what's taking place with the flooding. But a reminder for all of us that we can get caught up in, as Peter said, the flood of dissipation, pulled away with our lusts, and our life can be damaged in many, so many ways. But rather than being pulled back into our past attitudes, our past actions, we're to live differently. And then in verse 6, Paul shares the hope. We need to resist sin. We need to seek God's will. We can't get drawn back into our past, and we have a hope that can help us stand firm. Verse 6 says this, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. No matter our circumstances, we can look forward to eternity. Those people that Peter was speaking to, many of them would be taken or separated from their families, and some would even be killed for their faith. And Peter would remind them, listen, you're going to go through some hard times, but in the end you will have victory. And we have hope. And we, Lord willing, won't face the same persecution that many of those people in Peter's original audience were facing. But our circumstances can be difficult, and persecution can occur. But we can stand firm because of the hope in Christ and our eternity being secure in Him. We have a hope. Through Christ, we can overcome sin. Through Christ, we can escape judgment. Through Christ, we have eternal life. My life is changed, and my hope is secure through what Jesus Christ has done for me. And Peter was talking about their hope, but also a reminder of of the hope that could be available in the lives of those who maybe were part of the group that were ridiculing them. God's hope is for all people. But we're called to invest our time in resisting sin and seeking God's will and living differently and in looking forward. The Apostle Paul gives a similar challenge in Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. It says this, so then be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, uh, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Now it's interesting, the Greek language has two words that we translate time. Most often the word chronos, or chronos, is used. It's a qualitative or quantitative term. It focuses on the measurement of time. We, we use terms like chronology that come from that term. In 1 Peter 4, when Peter mentions time, both time and in lifetime, that he uses there twice in that passage, he uses chronos. 
or a derivative of it. But here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses a different word, a more obscure word as far as usage. But he uses the term kairos, which is a qualitative idea. It emphasizes potential and possibilities. We could use the term God time. And it's interesting, the Greeks understood these two words. And obviously the chronos, it's important for us to observe our time, to, to watch our time, to invest our time. But kairos even gives it a little more emphasis. And the Greeks, actually one of their mythological gods, his name was kairos. And they would have statues of their different gods. And this is a statue of Kairos. And you, the first thing you probably notice is his hairstyle. Little different. He needs one of those comb-over ideas there, right? To, to cover things up a little bit. But they did that for a specific reason. And he was titled Kairos for that reason. You see, the emphasis was that, that as Kairos came, people could grab his hair as he was approaching. But once he got by them, they couldn't grab the opportunity. You see the picture that Paul was painting for us? Don't miss the opportunity. And it reminds me of Father's Day. As a father, my children are adults or almost adults with my last one. And I'm sure many other fathers are just like me. I can look back and I look at opportunities. Some that I took, some that I missed. And now I can be brokenhearted over the ones I missed. I can celebrate the ones I took. But for each and every one of us, whether we're a father or not, we must look to the opportunity to use our time wisely, to invest it, not waste it, spend it, kill it, Pass it, invest it. As we battle and resist sin, as we seek to follow God's will, as we live differently than we did without Christ, and as we look forward to eternity with Him. And we're here today to celebrate fathers. And now you're here today, you, you maybe had a father that was a godly or is a godly man. Maybe you didn't. For some, it's hard to celebrate Father's Day. Or maybe you're here today and you are a father. And you may look back with regret at some of the things you did or didn't do. I want to encourage you, if that's your situation, to seek God's grace to restore any relationship as much as, as, it, as is possible. And we can all look to our Heavenly Father, the perfect example that we as imperfect 
fathers are trying to follow. Whatever your situation, we're called to honor our fathers and our mothers. And fathers here today, I pray that your day today would be a day of encouragement, a day of hope as you look to your heavenly father. So we have a short video we'd like to share, a letter from a father to his son that I I trust will be a challenge, but also an encouragement to fathers and each of us here today. After every catch he makes on the baseball field, he'll look to you to make sure you're smiling. When her friends make the fourth grade pep squad, but she doesn't, she'll look to you for comfort. When she feels misunderstood by her brothers and sisters, she'll look to you for understanding. They'll never stop looking to you. When she walks down the aisle on that magical day, she'll look to you to bring peace to her anxious heart. When he plays his first concert with his new band, he'll look to your face in the crowd. When she makes choices that will break your heart, she'll eventually look to you for forgiveness and restoration. They'll never stop looking to you. And you can never stop. You must never stop looking to God. They don't need you to be perfect. They just need you to be authentic and offer them Jesus anyway. They need you to try your very best. And even if you fail, they need to see you rise up again. They need you to follow hard after Jesus as best you can because they will never stop looking to you. Son, I'm writing these words to you because you are, and always have been, the legacy I've wanted to leave. And now, it's your moment. It's your chance to leave a legacy of loving Jesus with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. They'll never stop looking to you. And that's the way God created it to be. I love the way that the great theologian Mark Twain spoke about his father. He says this, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old men around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. (laughs) Fathers, we trust that you have a happy Father's Day. Thank you so much for what you do. And for each one of us, let's live a life that honors God. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, as we come before you this morning, may we recognize that you are the ultimate Father. And Lord, your love for us is all-powerful and never-changing. 
We are grateful for that love. Help us here today who are fathers. Lord, help us to look to you for our strength. Lord, help us to leave a legacy as through your power we live out your love in the lives of our children and our families. Lord, those here today who may be struggling because their desire to be a father or a mother and that desire has not been fulfilled, pray that you would just give peace, comfort, and strength. Lord, we pray for people around us who are struggling with the flooding that's taking place. Lord, we pray for protection of life. Lord, we pray that as many face lost property, Lord, that they could see your grace in the midst of difficult circumstances. And Lord, for each one of us, help us to use our time wisely. Lord, may you be glorified in what we say and what we do. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.